Unscripted. Unshackled. Uncouth. What you're about to hear is for mature ears only. It's Miguel. Ricky. Yeah. Yeah. You're a dumbass. Have a wonderful day, okay? Bye-bye now. Holly. I finally got boobs. And Scotty the body. Am I not as cool and good-looking as I think I am? The Miguel and Holly Uncensored Podcast. No, my tongue feels too big today. Only from Hot 101.5. Give me Kit Kat or give me death. Tampa Bay's new hit music. We're going to get into some heavy stuff here in just a second. But before we do... I wanted to bring attention to some new Miguel and Holly fan members that have joined us. Mm. Um, I got to give a shout out to Suzanne, who lives in Snellville, Georgia. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's in the uh, Atlanta area. And she started listening to the podcast because she heard me on, you've heard us reference his name a lot, Steve Kramer. Mm. Uh, we used to work with him in Panama City. Yeah. He worked in San Diego. Uh, he was let go in the fall, or no, um, in January during this big round of layoffs. Um, for another radio company, and now he's doing his podcast called uh, Certified Mama's Boy, and he had me on it a couple of weeks ago, about two or three times, talking about race issues. Yeah. And we had some really interesting discussions about it, and so some of his listeners have started listening to us, so welcome. Yeah. Welcome, 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 and so uh, thank you so much for reaching out, Suzanne. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, And with that, because we have some of you who are new to the fam and maybe just listen to the podcast and you don't listen on the air, earlier this week, I was talking about my boyfriend, Abe, who is out of town this week, and he has put together this little herb garden, and he was like, you got to water them. I'm going to be out of town for a week. And uh, when I talked about it earlier in the week on the show, some of you in the Miguel and Holly fam were like, well, you got to talk to the plants if you're watering them, (laughs) clearly. Duh. So I did, and I created a song as I was watering the herb garden. Oops, that was the phone. Hey there, par par, look at you, par par, rose rose, look at you coming together. Talking to the plants, you grow, you strong. Grow, grow strong, grow, grow, grow strong. So that was my song. Jam. And then Scott said, hold on, let me add some fire to it. Yes. And then this is the song that we debuted. It's Right now it's Friday, June 12th. This is the song that Scott debuted this morning on our on-air show. Hey there, par, par, look at you, par, par, rose, rose, look at you coming together. Hey there, par, par. Hey herbs, how's it go? Here's some water to help you grow. If you thirsty, let me know. Cause I can't have you die while Abe ain't home. So Miguel's gonna charge for only a week. And you're looking kinda wilted and you're looking kinda weak, but that's okay, cause I know what to do. I gotta talk to my plants like I'm talking to my boo. Yeah, it's proven that plants actually like to be talked to, but why not give them the same love that you gave your boo thing? Next time you're talking to your plants, try this. Mm. 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 What? Yeah. Hey, herbs, looking real fine. I see you looking at me over there, Miss Time. And dang, Basil, I see you. Your leaves so green and you're smelling good, too. And oh, Parsley, looking just right. I can't wait to have you with my food tonight. And oh, Mint, can I get a taste? I just want to rub you all over my face. Let's go. Oh, hey, yeah. Par, 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 par
are Rose Rose. Look at you coming together. Yes! yes! I feel like that could be a new dance on uh, on TikTok. TikTok. I yes. think, yeah, I think I'm going to do some other stuff to it so it could be strictly like a TikTok oh thing. Oh, my gosh. Yes, let's do it, please. That's pretty cool. I love it. So, like, when I was making it yesterday, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I had so much <laughs> joy. It just, like, I, fe- I literally feel like the good Lord, like, put things together. I was like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Mm. I was like, oh, my God, this worked perfectly. Because I had another version of this before that one, and I was mm. like, it was good. It just wasn't as, like, good. And I was like, ah like that so much and then all of a sudden i looked over like oh wait what if i do this yeah then i was just it well, all thank came you together. for allowing me to be in a rap song because i will <laughs> never in my life be in one so it was nice to you're like the sample vocal then. yes all you're right. the sample i feel like one of those viral stars that uh is on the news and they take it and then they remix it up yes! into a song yes like you hear the one this week that was like you gonna lose your job okay you gonna lose your job yes, you and then they made it into this whole <laughs> thing and i was like <laughs> Literally, people were dancing in the streets to protest last week to it. I was like, yes, mm-hmm. yes, okay. thank you. Okay. Um. So now moving on to the little serious. Um. So to be completely transparent, we were going to talk about this on our on-air show today. And just going into a Friday and not having the amount of time to really expand. Because what happens right now with these conversations that our country and the world are having these aren't things that can be easily wrapped up in a 30 or a three minute segment on the radio. Right. This, these are discussions that need time to uh, breathe, that you need time to process and to discuss. Yeah. So you, this, this week, Holly got into it with a listener. I did. And, um, and that's why, cause I was ultimately the one that was like, I don't think it's a good idea to talk about this without having prepared for it better because I haven't really talked this out loud yet and I didn't want the first time that happened to be in a four minute segment right. with no a no chance for phone calls or dialogue after yeah. so uh, hopefully we will be able to talk about this on the air next week but this is what the podcast is for to have long form conversations and discussions and just know this may hit you yeah. in some type of way like I don't know if you are I don't know where you stand on this, but uh, the reason that obviously I kind of went toe to toe with this woman is because it's probably a slightly controversial topic in the midst of all of what's been going on with Black Lives Matter and the protests and uh, and everything else. And so in the vein of um, everything that's been going on earlier in the week, I guess uh, looks like Tuesday. I posted, let me see if I can pull this up somewhere else. I can't. So, all right. I posted this meme on my Instagram story. So just try to focus real quick with me because I'm I'm with you. If I'm just hearing something and not seeing it, it gets a little rattled in my brain. Mm. But this is what this whole thing stems from. Okay. The post I shared on my Insta was, the problem is that white people see racism as conscious hate when racism is bigger than that. Racism is a complex system of social and political levers and pulleys set up generations ago to continue working on the behalf of whites at other people's expense, whether whites know or like it or not. Racism is an insidious cultural disease. It is so insidious that it doesn't care if you are a white person who likes, wait, I lost it, white person who likes black people. 
it's still going to find a way to infect you how you deal with people who don't look like you. Yes, racism looks like hate, but hate is just one manifestation. Privilege is another. Access is another. Ignorance is another. Apathy is another, and so on. So while I agree with people who say no one is born racist, it remains a powerful system that we're immediately born into. It's like being born into air. You take it in as soon as you breathe. It's not a cold that you can get over. There's no anti-racist certification class. It's a set of socioeconomic traps and cultural values that are fired up every time we interact with the world. It is a thing you have to keep scooping out of the boat of your life to keep from drowning in it. I know it's hard work, but it's the price you pay for owning everything. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Got it. So when I read that, I was like, "Oh, this is deep. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, I'm white. Miguel, you're black. Mm -hmm. Scott, you're white. I am. So we have a, a small, diverse little crew here, but... I'm still learning things. Oh, gosh, I yeah. didn't even know what uh, systemic racism meant until, like, last week when we watched the video. Yeah. Right. Okay? So I'm continually learning. So when I saw that, I was like, that really hits home. Obviously, no one's born racist. But especially if you're white, you're born into a system where you all are already ahead based on the color of your skin. Right. Now, and was what I took from that. Right. And to me, just to simplify it, think about my brother's name is Kwanzi. Right. And think about in my lifetime, how many times whenever I've said my brother's name is Kwanzi, do white people go, oh, girl, he got one of them names, one of them crazy names. I've probably said something exactly like it. Right. Because when it hits you, you're like, Kwanzi, I've never heard that. Right. And you're like, wow, what an ethnic name. So... That follows him around. Um, and if he were to apply for a job with the same qualifications as a Scott or what's your brother's name? Michael. M Scott and Michael, Kwanzi, and you are the HR director. I mean, it's just there have been proven studies that there is a bias towards ethnic sounding names. Correct. And that's one of those things where the system is set up to favor those very European, um, and I, I hope I, I hope I'm using the words correctly, but those very just white sounding names. Right. I mean, and listen, and l let me let me also put this on here too. We are not uh, talking heads. We're not political pundits. No, uh, no, we are three normal people who live everyday lives that are understanding the issues that are happening in our world. Even me as a black person, I just read something today. That was made me open my eyes about how there's this whole celebration in the black culture called Juneteenth. Yeah. And there was um, a person on Twitter had this whole thread about how if you are a reporter or a news organization and you're covering Juneteenth, don't just go to any black person because there's a specific population of black people who went through like a, a painful thing with that situation in Texas. Mm. Or if you're talking about the Tulsa massacre that like. So I, I was like, my eyes were open to that. So we're all learning. So I'm saying that to say that this is a discussion 
And this isn't anyone trying to shove anything down anyone's throat. Right. This is a discussion that we're all having as a country. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so back to that original post. Uh, I put that on my Instagram story, and this woman replied to it and said, the problem is this is a racist perspective on racism, and then added the eye roll emoji. Hmm. And I s- responded and said, how so? So a couple hours later, she replied and said, the first sentence is racist. You went to college, right? What is the definition of racism? Or is it not racist because it's directed at whites? If it were directed at the gay or transgender perspective, would it still be objective? Just curious. Or is it just white people? Hmm. Let me go back and read you the first sentence because I was like... Huh. Wait a minute. Let me let me see what you're talking about. The first sentence was, the problem is that white people see racism as conscious hate when racism is bigger than that. Mm-hmm. So she's saying that it's not objective. It's racist because it's uh, signaling out only white people. Right. It's not saying that everybody. Right. Just white people. Right. Okay. So you heard what all she said to me. So I said... Like, when you get something like that, and, and she started off with, you went to college, right? Yeah, that just doesn't put the tone of the conversation in a good, healthy place now, when someone says, you went to college, right? Ugh. Right. So now, not only did I get an eye roll, and then you went to college, right? So already, the stage is set in words alone for an argument. Right. So I had simply asked, well, how so? And then she came at me with that. So I replied, and she sent those at like 1210, and I saw it, and I replied at 1222 because I wanted to include a link mm. and some some put some thought into it. Of course. Mm-hmm. So after she said, is it just white people? Um, I said... I'm not obligated to walk you through this since you've chosen to be rude. Parentheses, you went to college, right? Mm. That's insanely condescending, Mm -hmm. in case we're not all aware. I said, this is helpful, and I included a link. This is helpful in understanding the difference between social prejudice and racism. If you choose not to dig deeper and want to continue to beat this drum of indignity and anger and not understand how actual racism truly works, that's up to you. Right. So I've provided some um, uh, some education. Mm-hmm. I thought that I was pretty diplomatic in right. my response, considering she'd already been rude to me. Mm-hmm. As I was typing and posting that to her, she already has fired back five times. Oh, dear. Oh, man. She said, take your time. We all can. Racism isn't bias. It's race-directed. It is in the verbiage. So I said, wait. I, I said, did you read the article? Because I, I just gave you. Then she says immediately, did you read your post? Uh, I said, I did. I don't think you understand how the power structure in America works. Mm-hmm. She said, mm, do you understand racism? If I write a post and I start it with, The problem with racism is black people thinking, is it objective or is it racist? And I said, but you understand it's not truly really a thing 
that white people deal with racism, which I knew that's what she was digging for. She was waiting for me to say white people don't experience racism. That was what this entire thing was leading to. I knew it. She knew it. It was like a dance we were doing. It was just building up to it. So I go, you understand it's not truly a thing that white people can experience racism. She says, oh, my God, like OMGGG. I said, so white people's understanding of racism can be off base. Mm. She said, that is a racist comment. Thank you. <laughs> and then at this point, I was like, I'm I'm kind of done here. Yeah. So I just, I then lost my cool a little bit, and I responded <laughs> with an eye roll emoji. Nice. Oh, sorry. She said, that is a racist comment. I replied with an eye roll. She goes, thank you for proving the point. You are the problem. You you can't fight racism with racism. Mm. I said, I can't continue to have this discussion with you. You need to learn more about this. Thank you for your time. She said, because you're an idiot. I said, there it is. Name calling. Right. Uh, She said, you're an idiot that can't fight logic. I get it. Common sense is a difficult thing. Cool. Peace out. And then I, I... that was it for me because I was like, once you start name calling me, I'm done. Right. Yeah. And after her little peace sign emoji, she said, oh, I copied this conversation for all your white followers. Okay. In my head, I was like, I, I wish you would. You're like, I'll probably talk about it on the radio. I was like, I, I hope you put it out so people can learn. Anyway. And then I, I had navigated away from the conversation by that point, and I was just really upset and angry that it had turned into this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was really trying in this conversation to explain myself and right. to have a dialogue, but she didn't want to. And then I went back later, and she, um, let's see, what time? Uh, oh, like only five minutes later. She followed up with the fact that she copied this for my white followers. <laughs> she followed up with, I was a military child. You know shit about me, where I grew up, what I went through, what, but you made a biased choice on what, quote, I know about racism, because I am white. You are the problem for all races, because you know nothing based on someone's skin color. Ask a black, white, or Spanish that grew up in the military, we didn't know color. We all had the same income, fucking poor, same house, and only one parent home. You, with your race-directed comments, are the problem. So that was what happened in my DMs. Okay, so let's unpack this. It's yeah. a lot. And I had to go take a two-hour nap to function Dude, because mm-hmm. I Props was to you. Just, I would have blocked them like no, four I'm not, sentences in. I don't want to block because you know what? That's I'm, again, learning through this whole thing. I used to be like, a, well, I just don't want to see it. I'm not blocking her because if she wants to keep on, you know, seeing what I post mm-hmm. and having an issue with it, maybe eventually she'll learn to to look at more than one perspective. Mm. See, it's it's weird because she thinks I'm the problem and I think she's the problem. And how do you have a discussion when that happens? And before we unpack, and I feel like I should probably let someone else talk because I feel like I've been talking a lot, but um, the article, maybe let's go back to that. The article that I um, posted in this, in this string of sentences um, is called, Can White People Experience Racism? Mm-hmm. Um, so let me just, let me, this, and I hate to just read to you on a podcast, but it so much better explains and like very succinctly lays it out in exactly what I would say if I could say it this easy. Right, right. So the article I sent to her, which I'm sure 
Well, no, I'm not sure. Maybe she did read it. I hope she did read it. Right. I really do. Um, I don't know if she did. It says, in its most simplistic definition, racism is prejudice or discrimination directed at someone of a different race based on the belief that your own race is superior. Okay. Taking that definition at its word, then, would suggest that it is possible for a person of any race to experience racism if someone treats them badly for that reason, even white people. But that definition of racism leaves out one crucial element, the power structures that uphold and perpetuate racism. Racism does not exist in a vacuum. It exists within a hierarchical structure with power at the core. Racism only works because one group has power and other groups do not. And it is white people who, historically, and in the West at least, hold the power when it comes to racial divides thanks to centuries of Eurocentric beliefs and structures that continue to privilege and center on whiteness. So then the article says, think about it in terms of the effects. If an ethnic minority person treats a white person badly because of inherent prejudice against white people, that is wrong and unacceptable. Mm -hmm. But the wider ramifications are likely to be less significant than if it were the other way around. Mm. If a white person treats an ethnic minority badly because of the color of their skin, not only is it morally wrong, like above, but it can also have serious and dangerous implications for the life and prospects of that person. Prejudice against white people might take, or I'm sorry, might make individuals feel bad. Like if someone calls me uh, something derogatory based on my whiteness, mm-hmm. it's going to hurt my feelings. Right. And it's going to cause me hurt and anger. But prejudice against ethnic minorities can lead to structural, syst- systemic, and lasting disadvantages in education, healthcare, disproportionate policing, career prospects. And this is what makes it racism. White people would only experience racism if the existing power structures enabled prejudice against them to cause this kind of widespread negative impact as it does for people of color. But that's not how society currently works. Mm. So then, new heading. Can white people experience radical prejudice? Mm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Stereotypes and negative beliefs about white people are examples of uh, racial prejudice. Right. So that's what I said to her in the message. Um, I didn't mean to say radical. I meant racial. Um, Stereotypes and negative beliefs about white people are examples of racial prejudice, but not racism. Which, to be clear, racial prejudice is still wrong. Right. Prejudice directed at any group based on a set of preconceived assumptions is never a good thing and almost always leads to behavior that is hurtful and causes harm. The difference between racial prejudice and racism is the lack of any power structure weighted in favor of a particular race. So then they have an expert come in. It's an anti-racism scholar who says there's no doubt that white people can experience discrimination, harassment, and be the victim of prejudice. Okay, We could even argue that in some contexts, they can be the victims of racial hatred. However, no matter how condemnable these acts or attitudes are, we should be careful as has now been argued for decades not to confuse individual acts of prejudice or bigotry 
with racism, mm. which as a system is ubiquitous and determinative of life course opportunities and experience. Uh, they add that racism as a system is supported by institutional power and historical myths about the socially constructed inferiority of certain groups, people of color. It is a system which has a history spanning centuries, a system which has become part of the very fabric of our society mm. and which ultimately continues to place increased worth on the lives and bodies of white people. Fundamentally, without socially sanctioned power, what we're only ever going to be left with is racial bigotry rather than a system of racial oppression. The distinction matters. And erasing it is not only intellectually lazy and disingenuous, but it also is harmful. It creates false equivalencies and therefore feeds racial illiteracy. The terms racism and prejudice are not interchangeable. And to remove the element of power from the definition of racism is overly simplistic and ignores the real and damaging impact racism has on the lives of ethnic minorities. So... Wrapping things up as we're getting to the end of this, I promise. I just, I feel like it's important. Absolutely. No, this has been very fascinating and eye-opening. What is reverse racism? You've probably heard that at some point, right? <clears throat> reverse racism is the concept that the dominant racial group in a society, for us meaning white people, can experience racism at the hands of the minority groups. People of color can be accused of reverse racism when they carve out safe spaces for themselves. For example, a black girl's fitness club might be accused of reverse racism for not including white people in their group. But most race academics regard reverse racism as a myth. They say it doesn't exist because of the one-way nature of those all-important power structures mm -hmm. mentioned above. The Black Girls Fitness Club is necessary because white people are, by default, welcome in any fitness club. Yep. Whereas black women may feel excluded or unwelcome in spaces where they are a minority. And that's the difference. There's a white American activist who explains it really succinctly in an, a 2002 essay. Um, the N-word was and is a term used by whites to dehumanize blacks, to imply their inferiority, to put them in their place, if you will. The same cannot be said of honky. After all, you can't put white people in their place when they own the place to begin with. Mm. Power is like body armor. And while not all white folks have the same degree of power, there is a very real extent to which all of us have more than we need when it comes to people of color, at least when it comes to racial position, privilege, and perceptions. So, and it goes into why, you, oh, this is, I think this is important because if you're feeling, if you're reeling a little bit, uh, to some, and I, and I, this is where this woman who got in my DMs, this is exactly where she's coming from. So to some, to say that white people cannot experience racism implies that all white people have an easy life. Right. That's not what that means. Mm -hmm. That is not what that means. And I'm not saying, I would never stand here and say white, all white people have it easy. It does not mean that white people don't have struggles or face prejudice or discrimination or any other kind of hardship. It simply means that when it comes to racism specifically, the structures of society 
mean white people will always hold more power than people of color. Yes. So that was the article I sent. And obviously, at the time of the dialogue that her and I had, she did not have time in between her calling no. me an idiot to read that. But I thought it was a, I sat, what I did, because I, that was already what was trickling in my head, because I've known about how white people can't really experience racism for a while, but I had never had to defend it until right. now. And it does make a lot of white people angry. Because white pe- a lot of, well, not a lot, but some white people, I, I assume, I don't know what percentage, white people have experienced prejudice. Right. White people have experienced hardship and discrimination uh, and whatever else, but not racism. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, and when you read to me that message from her, there are a couple things that stuck out to me that I've heard before in the past. And one of the things that I've mentioned in either the podcast or on the air, when I talk about sort of, you know, my upbringing and, you know, how because of my race and like how and I, I, I this was I think back in the beginning of the year or in the fall when my grandmother was going mm-hmm. through her stuff and I had a really emotional moment on the podcast and I was like, it's just not fair mm. because when you look at the history of like how we got to this moment with my family, you know, where there were slaves and then there were Jim Crow laws and then there was segregation and then all these things lead up to not being able to have the same resources. So yes, when that lady said, well, I'm in the military and there were black people and there were Hispanics and there was everybody and And we were were all all poor. Yes, absolutely. But here's the difference that when you all, like, let's say, you know, when she got out, when she was uh, 18 to go to college. It wasn't even, it was, they were, she was saying, I think, I have to check again really quick. I think she was saying that she grew up. Well, yeah, and I'm saying like she, her parents were in there. And so like her and like all the other kids that were in the military with their parents. They had the same, they were living in the same housing. They had the same single parent income. But here's, here's what we're trying to say is that, you know, your name is, let's just say it's Alicia. And then like the, or it doesn't even matter. No. It doesn't even matter what the names are. But you already, just because of the color of your skin, you have an advantage, even though you were all poor and started at the same level. Right. So no one's taking away from the fact that you worked hard for what you got. Or you had a struggle. Right. Absolutely no. We're just saying that the system is set up for that. That, I mean, and I think uh, Chelsea Handler said it perfectly when she was growing up and she was white. She loved black people. She had a black boyfriend and they were in a car together when the, it got pulled over and then she was screaming at the police officer of like, do you know who my dad is? And I've told the story before that she, then now she can look back and be like, he was a used car salesman. Like what could he have done? He wasn't the mayor or a politician, no. but it was her privilege as a white girl to be like, well, I can talk to the police officer like this. Yeah. And he was like, my hands are on the steering wheel. I'm not saying anything. I'm not talking back. And what ended up happening in life? She became a millionaire, and he just got out of prison. That's what we're talking about. Mm. No one's trying to take anything away from you. They're not trying to say anything, and no one's calling you racist. It's just understanding the way our society is set up. And I feel like right now, 
there are so many people that are able to articulate it like that article so well. That's why I was like, oh, my God, this is perfect, and it makes so much sense. And obviously, she was already, this woman in my DMs, was already angry at me, and there was no talking to her. Like, she started out basically rolling her eyes at me and telling me that I was stupid because how could I not read it and see what she saw? Right. But in reality, she read it, and came at it from a different perspective, and it was one of not understanding her own white privilege. Mm-hmm. And again, when we say white privilege, we don't mean you didn't have hardships. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. And I and then I was like, you know, I thought what was in a gentle way saying, I don't think you understand racism, and that would be the racism that I just defined in that article. Right. That has to do with power, not about. Anything else, mm-hmm. power, um, she doesn't understand because she does not live as a black person. Mm-hmm. Like, you can still grow up next door to a black person, have the same income and poor housing or or whatever other disadvantages maybe you came up with. But at the end of the day, you're going to have a small advantage because of the color of your skin. Right. And if you ignore that, that's when we have issues. If you refuse to see that, you did have a little bit of a leg up because people weren't automatically judging you by the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you are actually perpetuating this whole thing. Right. It was reverse. But see, that's what makes it so insidious and complicated because she is solidly firmly sitting in her belief that I'm the racist one. Right. Mm. And I mean, you know what? We all have, like, I'm sure that, like, as a white person, yes, I have been born into racism. And, like, even in in um, in um high school, sorry, I'm, like, losing my thought, my train of thought. In high school, when I worked at Arby's Unit 10, mm-hmm. which was in a predominantly black area, there were some white employees that said, like, you know, offensive jokes about black people in that community and I laughed mm. because I didn't realize it was hurtful. Right. And as you grow and you know and you learn and you keep learning because again, I didn't even know what systemic racism was until last week. When you think you know it already and no one's going to tell you anything because you grew up poor, well, okay, now where where are we going to go with that? Right. You, you're done learning. As an adult, you've just decided you know everything. Right. That's awfully arrogant of you. Scott, when you hear that, can you look back at your life and sort of see where maybe before we got to this moment in time of where you either heard things or said things or participated in situations that you weren't being racist, but you can see how because of the way the system was set up that it just sort of you just went along with it. Yeah, I, I mean, there's plenty I plenty of times through middle school or high school where it's like you again, it's not only like jokes that are offensive, but it's things you say. And I remember those conversations on like you and like if you had a black friend like it, I guarantee anybody would say this like, oh, you get like the permission to say like the N word mm. with with your buddy. You know, and because you have a black friend, because you have a black friend, you like, and I didn't even realize it because I thought that was like you, you literally, literally thought that was like the thing. Are taught better? How would you know? Exactly, and then I didn't really know about this whole 
white racism, like all that, until like after my first year of college, where I was sitting around like groups of just literally like people from all over the world, and they're telling me about like you know their upbringing, the struggles they go through, the things that they have to overcome. And I remember having a discussion, and I fought back on it. I was like, well, of course I could experience racism. Like, I I didn't understand what it meant until they, you know, pretty much broke it down like that, where it's like, you know, your opportunities that lay ahead of you are much easier to grab from ours. Like, I had a friend that was undocumented because that was just, like, that was literally her only opportunity to get an education, mm-hmm. and that's what her family had to do. And her parents were both very successful. Her dad's an architect, all these things. But there was always that obstacle of, like, even for them, like, getting getting a legal residence here or getting a green card was, like, a huge process to even overcome that in itself. But if you want to better yourself, you have to get an education. And so it's, there's all these little gaps and everything. For me, it was as simply as just being born, going to school that was right in the neighborhood and it was a course of good a good school, mm-hmm. going on to high school, and then getting accepted into college. I never even ex- thought about oh, man, this, it was, okay, I guess this would be a better example. There was never a thought that it wouldn't happen. There was never a moment when I was coming up that I would never go to college. It was always an option that I was going to go. And for me, like, sitting right now in this moment, like, that is the biggest privilege I think I have in this very moment to just, like, not even have a question after that. Of like, oh, yeah, that was my order. School, 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 college, job. There was never like, ooh, might not be able to go to college. Or is college an option? Am I going to get accepted? Right. Am I going to have a job after? Like, those little things. And so this whole experience, even like you said, like last week, I didn't know what these terms meant. I didn't even know. And I was talking to my buddy yesterday about the way our system has come off of, like, slavery being freed. And it was just literally, and I, I, I learned this from the show 13th on Netflix, of, like, it was just on to the next thing. It was like, yeah, you don't have the term slavery. Mm-hmm. But you just went into different laws, and then they set up different laws to, like, be able to put you in jail. It was just always another thing to pretty much put you back under control under the higher power. Right. I didn't realize that, which is nuts, until last week, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, I had a little thought here and there. But you, for me, I could go about my day without ever thinking about it. Right. And that's a privilege that I have of being white. Right. And I didn't know these things until I actually sat down and I was like, Holy crap! I didn't realize that, you know, these presidents put these laws in effect, honestly, literally written down, to put black people in jail. Right. I don't know how much more racist that gets, and these things are still in place today. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was back when we weren't even all on the same page with everything. That was back in the 50s and 60s, and now it's 2020. We could fly people to the dang moon, right. mm-hmm. but we can't get on the same page of, hey, maybe these laws are a little effed up, and we're putting more black people in jail for, like, the same crime that a white person could commit. Mm. And now I love social media now because people put those images right up in your face, and they're like, look, at the same charge, a white person and a black person. One person has, like, 12 years. One person had, like, a day, and they got bailed out. Like, Mm. that's privilege. And those are things that I wish, you know, I hope one day we get to a point where in the education system we actually talk about these things in the right manner to educate. Like, for myself, I didn't realize it until I sought out the information. But I would have been much better off in middle school and high school understanding that next to my peers that are black and any other race. That is not, you know, we're all experiencing different things. So that would have been way more eye-opening at that age to have a better understanding of, like, what me and 
all friends of mine that aren't white are going through. Right. That would have been so much more helpful. And then I could have realized, like, holy crap, that's what privilege actually is. Mm -hmm. I'm not experiencing racism. I just have people that might not like me. Right. You know, it's not the same thing. Let's not try to compare. And I remember people would get upset before I learned this and having these discussions when I'd be like, oh, I experienced it. No, I don't. Mm -mm. Right. And they literally broke it down into a point I was like, you're right. Yeah. But see, you we only think about what we know. Like, it's almost like, how do you realize it unless you branch out, you get perspectives from someone else. Oh, yeah. Several other people. Absolutely. And you you hear them. Well, that was the the biggest game changer for me. And I this is why I just wish more people would just go more places. And and this again, this could I'm not saying like, oh, I don't have the opportunity to go places. Just surround yourself with different sets of people. And that's where when I went to USF over here in Tampa, it's a lot different than my little town over in Vero Beach where yes, there's races of all kind, but big majority white. And mm-hmm. a definitely older population. And so when I came over to USF, it was like, okay, it's not just me and my little white friends. It's me and people that have traveled literally from around the world. Right. Every sort of race in the same room, being able to have these open conversations, that's when my mind started to change. And I was like, holy crap, there's way more than I ever even imagined that other people are going through and other people experience. I wish too, like you, I wish that I would have grown up knowing some of these things. Yeah. Um, just the differences of people. Like, obviously, I, th- I think it's pretty obvious. Like, I wasn't raised with hatred. No. Right. Um, and I think that's a, a confusing thing for people too. They're like, well, we weren't racist. We didn't raise you to hate other people. No. I have black friends. It's great. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, there, we had a, a black family down the street. One, by right. the way. Yeah. Um, but we all played together. Actually, there was two. There was one on this end and one on that end, and mm-hmm. that's it. And right. we all, the neighborhood kids would all play together. So in my mind, you know, I was like, I got all I need to know. Mm-hmm. I like black people. I like Carla who lives down the street. Right. We're fine. But it's so much deeper than that. So I'm trying really hard to do the right thing in the right way yeah. for my daughter because it's overwhelming. And I don't want to overwhelm her or give her too much before she's ready. So it's like little bits at a time. And a really quick, I wanted to like circle back around to something that Scott said about how you can say something to me and it's going to hurt my feelings. And that's what my uh, my friend Erin, who is like so much better versed in this because she'd been studying this way longer than I have. Mm-hmm. Um, she found a meme that said, my friend said, I'd rather offend my white friends than bury my black friends. Mm. And that... Dang. That breaks it down too. Yeah. Like it, it just that there's a bigger picture here. Yeah. Here is that we're gonna end the podcast with a video that Trevor Noah from The Daily Show posted last week. That is just powerful. It is. I don't know her backstory, um, but there is a woman being interviewed, um, and this is like in the height. Maybe it's two weeks ago when the uh, protests were happening and then the people would come out at night and then they would uh, riot. And here's her sort of breaking everything down from a historical perspective. And if you want to share this video, it's on Trevor Noah from The Daily Show. It's on his Instagram. So I've I've been seeing a lot of things talking of the people making commentary Um Interestingly enough, the ones I've noticed that have been making the commentary are wealthy black people making the commentary about we should not be um, rioting, we should not be looting, we should not be tearing up our own communities. 
and then there's been an argument of the other side of we should be hitting them in the pocket we should be focusing on the blackout days where we don't spend money um but you know i feel like we should do both and i feel like i support both and i'll tell you why i support both i support both because there when you have a civil unrest like this there are three type of people in the streets there are the protesters there are the rioters and there are the looters the protesters are there because they actually care about what is happening in the community. They want to raise their voices and they are there strictly to protest. You have the rioters who are angry, who are anarchists, who really just want to fuck shit up. And that's what they're going to do regardless. And then you have the looters. And the looters almost exclusively are just there to do that, to loot. Now, people are like, well, what did you gain? Well, what did you get from looting? I think that as long as we're focusing on the what... We're not focusing on the why, and that's my issue with that. As long as we're focusing on what they're doing, we're not focusing on why they're doing. And some people are like, well, those aren't people who are legitimately angry about what's happening. Those are people who just want to get stuff. Okay, well then, let's go with that. Let's say that's what it is. Let's ask ourselves why in this country, in 2020, the financial gap between poor blacks and the rest of the world is at such a distance that people feel like their only hope and only opportunity to get some of the things that we flaunt and flash in front of them all the time is to walk through a broken glass window and get it. That they are so hopeless that getting that necklace, getting that TV, getting that change, getting that bed, getting that phone, whatever it is that they're going to get is that in that moment when the riots happen and if they present an opportunity of looting that's their only opportunity to get it we need to be questioning that why why are people that poor why are people that broke why are people that that food insecure that clothing insecure that they feel like their only shot that they are shooting their shot by walking through a broken glass window to get what they need. And then people want to talk about, well, there's plenty of people who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and got it on their own. Why can't they do that? Let me explain to you something about economics in America. And I'm so glad that as a child, I got an opportunity to spend time at PUSH where they taught me this, is that we must never forget that economics was the reason that black people were brought to this country. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Do you understand that? That's what we came to do. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Now, if I right now, if I right now decided that I wanted to play Monopoly with you and for 400 rounds of playing Monopoly, I didn't allow you to have any money. I didn't allow you to have anything on the board. I didn't allow for you to have anything. And then we played another 50 rounds of Monopoly and everything that you gained and you earned while you were playing that round of Monopoly was taken from you. That was Tulsa. That was Rosewood. There are Those are places where we built black economic wealth, where we were self-sufficient, where we owned our stores, where we owned our property, and they burned them to the ground. So that's 450 years. So for 400 rounds of Monopoly, you don't get to play at all. Not only do you not get to play, you have to play on the behalf of the person that you're playing against. You have to play and make money and earn wealth for them and then you have to turn it over to them. So then for 50 years, you finally get a little bit and you're allowed to play and every time that they don't like the way that you're playing or that you're catching up or that you're doing something to be self-sufficient, they burn your game. They burn your cards. They burn your monopoly money.
And then finally at the release and the onset of that, they allow you to play and they say, okay, now you catch up. Now at this point, the only way you're gonna catch up in the game is if the person shares the wealth, correct? But what if every time you, you share the wealth, then there's psychological warfare against you to say, oh, you're an equal opportunity higher. So if I played 400 rounds of Monopoly with you and I had to play and give you every dime that I made, and then for 50 years, every time that I played, I, if you didn't like what I did, you got to burn it like they did in Tulsa and like they did in Rosewood, how can you win? How can you win? You can't win. The game is fixed. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. There is, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully last night. There's a social contract that we all have that if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the fuck do I give a shit about burning the fucking football hall of fame, about burning a fucking target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a fuck. You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so fuck your target. Fuck your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. Catch up on previous episodes of Miguel and Holly Uncensored now on the Hot 101.5 app or on iTunes on your smartphone. It's Miguel and Holly Uncensored. Quarantine edition from Hot 101.5. Made hot by Corona Beer.